0: our Bibles to 2nd Corinthians chapter 9 verses 1 to 15. 2nd Corinthians 9 1 to 15. Beginning at verse 1 of chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time, And prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food Supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God while through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the written in the inerrant word of God. Let us pray. O Lord Bless this word, open it up, plant it into our heart like a seed of hope that we may feed on it and multiply in the righteousness that you give to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When we have an awesome truth to tell, and that truth has a life-changing power in our lives, we shouldn't be surprised if it keeps bubbling over in our talking or our writing or in our living. Paul had a marvelous truth to tell of God's grace in Christ Jesus. And that truth had a life-changing power in the church in Macedonia, in Western Turkey, which he had already told the Christians in Corinth about in chapter eight. It is the truth of grace in Christ, a love we don't deserve, through a relationship with Christ In faith, in his death and resurrection. And what that inspired in them and the wonderful fruit of that was that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. That's verse number two in chapter eight. Paul had already told that truth, that response of the Macedonians. And he explained it, writing powerfully and eloquently in 2 Corinthians 8:9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Paul had shared this message of grace in Jesus through his preaching ministry, that this was a gift of undeserved favor. And that we receive that gift of favor by receiving Jesus into our heart. He became poor through his incarnation. He came out of the riches of heaven. He became a man. He took the form of a servant, a serving kind of man. And he served by going all the way in obedience to the cross of Christ. That poverty gave us the riches of his wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. We became rich in him, wise unto salvation. We realized we need this. We become wise unto the fact that there's a problem in my life, and I need God's help. We are accounted righteous in his blood, God looking at us, not only in ourselves, but through Christ and therefore regarding us as having a right standing. We become holy in our person over a lifetime as the Holy Spirit is set forth and set loose in our life and we're redeemed for a new purpose, a new pattern of living, looking out not only for our own interests, but those of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul has more to tell in this chapter on the same basic themes, this gift of Jesus Christ himself. And it is indeed the gift that keeps on giving. And we're going to look at it in these points. Grace abounds through God towards you, verses 8 and 9. Readiness is a form of generosity, verses 1 through 5. Cheerful giving is a form of sowing, bears a harvest, and giving brings glory to God. And that's in verses 12 to 15. So let's begin looking at verses 8 and 9, and I want to just take you to the end of the chapter briefly, to verse 13, to pick up an idea there that's very central to God's grace, that it is always in Christ. If you look at verse 13, it says, "...while through the proof of this ministry..." They glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ. It's the gospel of Christ that is the means by which the grace of God connects with us. It's when we have good news from God that is displacing the bad news of our sin that we become awakened to the wonderful love of God that we don't deserve. And it says here, the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. This liberal sharing, this generous giving is the outflow of that gospel. And it's a sharing with them, namely the Jerusalem church that they were bringing that gift to, and to all men in a more general sense. Now, this good news is the expression of the beautiful verse 8, which has five alls in it. If you change that word, every good work, to just simply all good works, you can simply uh, see there's five alls in there, and just read it with me, and God is able to make all all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for all good work. Jesus Christ is the gift that keeps giving. He is the one that gives in all these ways that we see here in verse 8. And he is God is able to make this abound in us, even when we don't feel like it. God is able when we are weak. He is strong and he is available to us, even in those moments where we feel at the end of our rope. When we are flat, he is full. When we are through, he is just starting. Now, we need rest from time to time. I'm glad Ben and Susie and your family are getting some. I'm looking forward to a week away, and I'm thankful for the church giving this time off for R&R. But the joy that we have in Christ, as Elder Eldred Page used to put it, is that when we come to the end of ourselves, when we don't have any more resources— that is when God gets going. When we come to the end of ourselves, that is when God gets going. Come to the end of our sufficiency and ability, God moves upon us with his empowering Holy Spirit to show what can really happen. That's the point of the first line in verse 8. God is able. And let's look at the five ways he's able from that verse. We see that God is able to make all grace abound toward you. We understand this to mean all kinds of grace, as we saw last week. The first type is the grace of his salvation, that he's able to redeem us. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And the second type is his reconciling grace where we come to the foot of the cross, Ephesians 2.13. And there, Jew and Greek are reconciled at that common sacrificial moment where Jesus hung on the tree. Jew and Greek, male and female, slave and free, all earthly distinctions find their reconciliation to God in him. He himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. And third, in the all-grace category, is the grace of giving. That is the grace which was described in chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. And then it's referred to here at the end of 7 in chapter 8. See that you abound in this grace also. This particular grace is the grace of giving. God provides the spiritual fuel for us to generously give of our time, of our talents, and of our treasure. This abounds toward us. There's a very personal note. You may come in here today tired. You may come in here today cold. You may come in here today just cold relationally, just a little cut off. God is pouring his grace toward you today. And he is pouring it, in this way, always, always pouring his grace, that at all times we will have an abundance for every good work. That little word always is reminiscent for me of Philippians 4.12. I know what it is to be in want and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content, which times, whether well-fed or hungry. Whether I'm living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. God is with us all the time. I never forget the time that a man by the name of H. Spees told me that verse when I was down at Voice of Calvary Ministries in Jackson, Mississippi. My wife had preceded me or followed me by a year there. I think followed me by a year. And I was there with a bunch of students from Grove City College and in Indiana State University in Pennsylvania, and we were serving in the community, working in a clinic, and working on construction projects, and worshiping with the community there. And I'll never forget that when I was glazing a window in that clinic, H. Spees came alongside and gave a devotional to the group, and he said, "Paul knew how to be abased, and he knew how to abound. He knew." what it was to have little, and he knew what it ha- was to have a lot, and he challenged us to remember that we as middle-class Christians, which uh, we were, that we had a pretty good handle on abounding, and it was helpful to learn how to be abased by getting to know people different than us, and vice versa, that those who knew how to be abased also needed that experience of abounding in Christ, to know even God's sufficiency for them. And so I want to encourage you that all times, even all the times of your family rhythms, and I just want to highlight three, your family life, your on-the-job life, your church life, at all these times, God is going to make all grace abound to you. Just the last 60 hours. I've had a new vision and new experience of what family life is with little children. You know, we're pretty low-key, empty nest over there at 47 inhales, and they've left the room so I can talk frankly now. But, you know, it was pretty crazy the last 60 hours, and you mothers are to be admired, okay? You, you, you are really doing a great job, and I want to encourage you to to just, at in the home, to give God the glory, that I get to give myself out, fathers and mothers both, for these children, as we had our grandkids in town the last 60 hours, if you didn't know. (laughs) Anyway, on the job, the grace of giving includes the self-giving of Christian witness. That we are witnessing by being a good worker, whatever it is we do there. But we are also given the opportunity to give the gospel as we have opportunity. On our break times, in times around the edges. As I heard um, yesterday at the picnic, two women talking about this. And what a challenge that is. It, It is a growth experience. It's a time where God grows in us that ability and desire to share Jesus with others who need him. And we give the gospel by how we live and work and how we share Christ verbally. And then the third type of giving is that giving highlighted in these chapters. When we're giving financially to church leaders, people like Titus, people like this uh, man, this brother whose praise is in the gospel, probably Luke, and then another man who was diligent. And so we give there for especially the needs overseas. They had to go across the ocean. And there are many needs in our world. And they gave to these leaders and they, they allowed them and the missions committee here in this church to make a budget to, to apportion those monies for the work of Christ. And so it is to the glory of God that we give at all times. And then he goes on to say, um, all sufficiency. We think about running short and we think about Are we gonna have enough? And we think of that story in 1 Kings 17, 7 through 16, where the widow of Zarephath is approached by Elijah, and Elijah asks for some water. Okay, and well, I can get you some water, and she's walking off, and he says, oh, and by the way, while you get me some water, how about some bread? And this isn't a time of famine. And this isn't a time when things were short, and she said, I only have a handful, a flour, a little olive oil in a jug, but I'll give it to you. I will give as he promised. Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me, from what you have, and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. Notice the giving first to the Lord's work. And notice that the promise of God follows. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. And it did not run dry and the flour was not used according to the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord of his sufficiency to you. It's found here in verse 8. And that story I told you is a picture of it. God will provide for your needs as you give first to the work of the Lord. And we see forth all things. He will give. And you will have all sufficiency in all things. And here are some of the things that God gives us strength and provision to do. God's wisdom in Christ Jesus considers and contemplates the need of the world and your needs as a believer and how your need as a believer has been filled in Christ to bless you spiritually and also financially. And God brings you and the needs of the world together around the gospel. This is some of the all things that we've talked about. And I remember uh, the... uh, Team Thomas going overseas. And I remember how that exciting work of teaching uh, was upon them and and becoming the headmaster of that school and and seeing the prayer leaders. And I see how then opportunities for education came uh, to our brother. And I I, I thank God for that uh, doctorate which he received, which helped prepare him then for be to the world which is this ministry to people who are persecuted simply because they're Christians or other persons who are the victims of war. And so all the things are those things which God is leading us to under his sovereign hand. And it is an abundance that he is giving that you may have an abundance for every good work, all work. God refills our resources as we give to his work for his Purposes. I recall when I was at Hope Reformed Church that there was uh, two churches that needed help from our church of around 90. We had had around 60 when we got there, went up, worked up to 90, but then we had an opportunity to to send people off to the first Albanian evangelical church in Garfield, which still exists in Fairlawn to this day. And another church in Newark was being revitalized as led by Bill Iverson, a great PCA guy. And, man, that really took a toll on our attendance. And I was reassured by Bill Iverson. He said, God is going to backfill, you know? When you dig out, he's going to fill in. And God did that. When we left, we were back up to 89, and God just was faithful to us as a small church. And and I want to encourage you that his sufficiency will be with you, and he will bring about an abundance for all good works, even if the work isn't the one that's right under your supervision, yet God gave me a sense there, just release and see what God will do. We see in verse 9 that there's an example here from the Old Testament of Psalm 112, 9. He has dispersed abroad. Think about someone scattering. He, He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Indeed, when Christ is in our life, we are accounted righteous, but then The the ministry goes out from there. The signs, the works of that righteousness flow out because of that righteousness that he has imparted to us. Now let's look at verses 1 through 5 and see some of the nuts and bolts of this, some of the practicalities, because that's what Paul is about here. He has already talked about a gift. And then he says, I'm sending these three leaders to you so that you'll be ready So that you who had a willingness, verse 2, will be ready to give. When they were said to be willing, God used that willingness to inspire the Macedonians that, that they would be stirred up to give. And now Paul is coming back to these Corinthians and he's saying, okay, you are willing, let's make sure you're ready. And that is related to the attitude that we have in giving. It says, Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. You see, when we're ready, when we prepare to give, when we are setting aside a gift to the church as the first aspect of our finances then we don't come along and find out oh i got like 40 bucks in the checking account and they want me to make an offering you know i've been there i've been done that you know and basically when we're not prepared then that leads to the attitude of a grudging obligation. Because we know we have bills to pay. We know we need to get away to great escape at least once this summer. And we know it's good for our health. You know, when, when these things are substituting, when, when our giving to the church is substituting for things that are legitimate de- needs or are good and gracious desires to have recreation, well, then it comes out grudging. But when we're planning ahead, then it becomes a matter of generosity from the heart. And so I want to encourage you to be ready. Second, verses 6 through 8 and 10 through 11, consider this, that cheerful giving is a form of sowing that bears a harvest. You know, that grudging word that was there at the end of five, it also appears in verse seven. And six and seven go together. The type of reaping, the type of sowing that that brings an abundant reaping in verse six is the type that's described in verse seven. Because of that little sow word there in verse seven. He's saying, okay, so if you really want to participate in this... um, abundant sowing, then do it this way, verse 7, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God wants our heart in this. God wants us that when we give, we're not just plunking some money in the plate, but that we're following That money with our prayers. If we're not a cheerful giver, we're not going to be praying for what we're given to. When we cheerfully give, we have a spiritual connection to the cause to which we give. And that is of the essence of sowing. If you turn over with me to James in chapter number one you'll see there a reference to the sowing of the word of God. Therefore, James 1:21. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. You see, when we give money, we are sowing the word eventually that word to be used in the lives of churches or schools or agricultural projects like the uh, our friends in Tajikistan used to be involved with the all long-term goal is that the word of god would be planted into hearts and in that planting that there would be a long-lasting spiritual new life and so the attitude that we have is critical because that attitude is noticed by God and it is the heart of the giver that he honors. Think of the poor widow who gave two common mites and the least of gifts in quantity. And yet because she gave her whole living, it was more, it was considered more than others who out of their abundance gave silver and gold. When we think we don't have enough, hear what Calvin says. Whenever fleshly reason calls us to back off from doing good through fear of loss, you know, oh man, I'm, I, I'm giving too much. I'm going to lose. Well, then we should immediately oppose it with this shield. This is what Calvin says. The Lord declares that we are sowing. And so this promise that we see here in verse 10, has a logical connection to verses 6 and 7. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown. See, he gave us the seed in the first part. It's his grain. It's his resources. And now we are using it, and we are casting it out abundantly. You think of the farmer who would put a few seeds out. Oh, there's a nice little hulk. We'll put one in there. Oh, there's a fertile low spot. That that must be some good growing territory. And oh yeah, we've got a few crops from that category, that that field over there, so I'll put some in there. That kind of farmer is gonna lose out. But the farmer who has the grain in one hand and he puts his hand in and casts it abroad That's the farmer who is going to be blessed with a harvest. So consider this, finally, that as we give, we bring glory to God. We see it because people thank God. Look at verse 12, verses 11 and 12. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God, Yes, you are enriched. You are blessed to know that the gift is going and it's having an effect and it causes thanksgiving. That brings glory to God. It's thanksgiving to God for the ministry that has been made possible through these gifts. And we also see it's abounding through many thanksgivings to God. It's a multiplying thanksgiving that repeats as other people get saved through the witness of those you first witnessed to. And then in verse 13, we see the proof. The proof of the ministry is that they glorify God for the obedience of your confession. When they see that your confession is not a matter of lip service, but actually moves into actions, that proves the ministry and they glorify God for it. That this faith in which we live is not merely a matter of words. It's a matter of actions and deeds. And so we see then in verse 14, and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, they see that you're a faithful believer who cares. And that care comes across by how you give verse 15 finally thanks be to God for his indescribable gift Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving and as we respond by giving our time and ministry locally here in Warren County Saratoga and Washington counties as we give as those who have particular talents to play on the piano like our sister did today and others minister in finances and others minister in relating to children and nurturing kids and ministering to senior citizens, as you have particular talents and a particular treasure, respond to this indescribable gift that God has given, who is the very person of Jesus Christ, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all at the cross of Calvary. How shall he not with him graciously give us all things? Remember that as you give. He will give everything you need. In addition to that space and time sacrifice 2,000 years ago, he will give alongside of it all things needed and necessary for your life in this world and the next. May God bless you as God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Let us pray. Lord, bless this congregation. I thank you for them, and I thank you for their generosity, and I thank you that you are bringing the gospel here in the foothills of the Adirondacks.